You are now listening to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 82 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire. And I'm going to start this episode by asking you a question. What does it mean to age well? What is health? What is healthy aging? Is it simply the absence of disease or illness? Or does it consist of more than just that? I'm going to give you a definition from the World Health Organization They broadly define good health as the absence of symptoms of illness or signs of disease, the presence of well-being and a sense of being healthy, and the capacity to perform activities of daily living and to function with some degree of independence. There are tons of different definitions of what good health means. And illness and health consist of both subjective feelings and experiences and professional assessments and diagnostic tests. The average life expectancy for women in Canada is 83 and 80 for men. So we'll just say average life expectancy is around 80. The average life expectancy to be disability-free, it's called the disability-free life expectancy, is around 70. So on average, people can expect to live around 10 years with some form of disability. Now, when we're looking at health and aging well, disability comes hand in hand because the older we get, the more at risk we are for developing chronic diseases. And now we're very well equipped at dealing with acute conditions. You break your arm, you get into an accident, you need a surgery, it's all well and good. But on average, those 65 and older have at least two chronic conditions. So think about arthritis or osteoporosis, some kind of pain, uh, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, what have you. So for 10 years, you can expect to live with a disability. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to age well? I would define aging well as prolonging that disability-free life expectancy. So if I'm going to live on average 83 years, hopefully to age well for me, to not have any disabilities at all. And there's normal aging and pathological aging. And we're not going to go into that because that is a topic of conversation that my next guest that's happening next week is going to come on and talk about. She is a clinical psychologist with a specialty in gerontology. gerontology. So that's going to be very interesting. But... If I'm thinking about aging well, I want to be disability-free for as long as I possibly can. When we're looking at age, we also need to define what age 
is or how it's measured. So we can look at chronological age, which is the number of calendar years old you are, but it's not the greatest measure. In fact, it's deeply flawed because there's so much variation between age cohorts and within the same age cohorts. So you could have, for instance, a 65-year-old, and I say 65 because that's deemed quote-unquote old age or, you know, senior, whatever. But as we're getting healthier and we're living longer, 65 doesn't actually seem so old anymore. So we can have chronological age, but you can think of, say, a 65-year-old who's been really active their entire life. Maybe they've gone to the gym, they've been really outdoorsy, they've watched what they ate, and they're fit. Like they can run circles around anyone. They don't get out of breath walking up the stairs. They don't have any physical impairments. They don't take any medications or whatever other criteria we're using to define what good health looks like. And conversely, you could have a 65-year-old that didn't take care of themselves. They didn't watch what they ate. They didn't exercise. Maybe they grew up in a really disadvantaged environment, low SES. Whatever the case may be, those two 65-year-olds could look very different. And so basing everything off chronological age comes with a lot of issues, A better way to view age is through functional or subjective age. And this is basically just asking, how do you, how old do you feel? And studies have shown that the age you feel is a better predictor of happiness, health, and longevity. Moreover, age is best viewed through a biopsychosocial perspective. And I've talked about a biopsychosocial perspective before. But for those of you who do not know what that is, bio meaning biological, psycho meaning psychological, and social meaning sociocultural, these are all the things that interplay in our life to construct our life course and the way that we should view our life course through. So biological, so if we're looking at age through the biopsychosocial perspective, then bio, biological, includes physiological factors and genetics. Psycho, psychological, includes things like cognition and emotions, your personality. And social, sociocultural, includes the social context and the history and the culture that you grew up with and that you live in. So all of these factors interplay to create health or disease. So when we're looking at age, it's much more nuanced than just looking at how old someone is. And because we're talking about what does it mean to age well, and I brought up that disability-free life expectancy, I'm going to focus more on the biological side of aging well. That is not to say that it's the most important because there's still psychological factors and there's social factors. So we can't look at health or aging in isolation in a vacuum because all of these things, they're interrelated. They affect each other and you can't just focus on one thing and expect 
healthy aging to just miraculously happen. You know, you could exercise and eat well and sleep well, but if your social environment is filled with contention or you're experiencing isolation or loneliness or whatever the case may be, then that's going to affect your physical body. It's going to affect your your emotions and your cognitive functioning. And so we can't look at aging well in isolation, but for the sake of this podcast, podcast, we're just going to look at the biological one or two of the biological aspects of aging well. We're not going to look at genetics. We're going to look at what you have control over because agency, the ability for you to control the outcomes of your life is so important when it comes to viewing aging through this life course perspective or biopsychosocial model. So agency is key. You have the ability to choose. Sometimes we're put into situations or we grow up with disadvantage, but we still have the ability to choose. So how do we live disability-free for as long as possible? What comes to mind for me and maybe for you, is exercise and nutrition. Shocking, because that's what generally this podcast is about. It's about health at, you know, on, in a variety of topics. But of course, it always comes back to the simple things and what we're doing day in and day out and our lifestyle. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and then I'm going to bring it back to exercise and you'll see why. So sarcopenia is something that I want to talk about because when we're looking at aging, as we age, we lose muscle and that's just normal age-related changes, muscle changes. But sarcopenia is different. Sarcopenia is defined as a loss of muscle mass and strength and its prevalence ranges between 5 to 13% for those age 60 to 70 and between 11 and 50% by the age of 80 or higher. It occurs with aging and or immobility, so the lack of physical activity. And its hallmark symptom is a loss of lean muscle mass or muscle atrophy. Muscle atrophy is when the muscle diminishes. Hypertrophy is when it builds. There's many proposed causes to what what results in sarcopenia. But it's likely the result of multiple interacting factors such as, you know, things like changes in hormones, <clears throat> excuse me, nutrition, immobility or lack of physical activity like I was saying age-related muscle changes, or even neurodegenerative changes. And there's not one way to diagnose it. Grip strength has been seen to be an overall predictor, but that comes with some issues just using that as a measure. Um, There are other ways to diagnose it, like looking at the level of difficulty one has getting off a chair or walking up the stairs or doing other functional daily activities. So if these come with an extreme level of difficulty and you're getting into old age, then sarcopenia could be happening, this loss of muscle mass and strength. 
why do we care? (laughs) Why do you care about healthy aging? Especially if you're listening and you're like 25 years old, because you will probably live into old age. And if you don't, you will know someone who lives into old age, but you will most likely live into old age. So why do we care about something like sarcopenia if it doesn't happen, you know, until between 60 to 80 years old? Well, just like anything else, dementia, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, these don't happen overnight. It takes years of physical inactivity or, you know, whatever you're doing that's going to result in this chronic illness. It doesn't just happen overnight. I mean, look at dementia. We know that dementia starts as early as your 30s or 40s. Like it's already starting. Changes in the brain are already starting, but we don't start to see symptoms until later on in life. Well, the same is true for any other chronic illness, including something like sarcopenia. It doesn't start when you're 80. It starts before that. And loss of muscle is a big deal. So if we don't have enough muscle as we get older, one of the biggest risk factors of not having enough muscle is that we have a higher risk of falling. And if you've studied gerontology to any degree or know some someone who's older or you know have just experienced it yourself, if you're an older individual, falling can be disastrous. Not only can falling contribute to a lot of pain and issues later on, but it can also lead to the loss of independence as one ages. So if they fall and they hurt themselves and they're immobile and they're more dependent on other people and that loss of independence affects our well-being. That's the kind of psychological aspect of that. So the biological aspect is we get a fracture or a break then we're more dependent and we lose that independence, which affects our psychology. Maybe it affects our social life because we're not able to leave the house anymore. And so falls are a huge, huge deal. You see little kids falling, they just get up. I mean, when you're older and you fall, it can be disastrous and it can end people's lives. So losing muscle as you age is a big deal. There's also changes that happen in our hormonal profile. Having more muscle improves disease recovery. Having more muscle means greater insulin sensitivity, which is what we want. We don't want to have reduced insulin sensitivity. We want to be sensitive to insulin because when you have diabetes, that's insulin resistance. Having more muscle means a faster metabolism. And as we age, you know, our metabolism doesn't necessarily change as we age, but we end up doing less physical activity and in turn eating more or more of the wrong things. And so that has an effect on our metabolism. Muscle is an expensive tissue. So that is how it speeds up our metabolism because it requires more It's more expensive and in turn, it burns more calories. I'm really dumbing it down, but having muscle means a faster metabolism. 
more muscle means a healthier immune system. So you don't get as sick as often or you recover quicker. Disease recovery. More muscle means a healthier sex drive. And studies have also shown that people who have more muscle have better cognition. So their cognitive capacity is greater. Having more muscle affects your brain. So this is particularly important as we age. And as you'll hear our discussion, the one that I'm having next week with Dr. Candace Connert, we're going to go over dementia. And as we get older, the risk of developing dementia increases. And so if we can do things to decrease that risk, why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we do it? So that's sarcopenia, the loss of muscle mass. That's why we care, because having muscle literally makes our lives better. So you might be asking yourself, or it might be self-evident at this point, what's the treatment for sarcopenia? Exercise. A lack of exercise is a significant risk factor in the development of sarcopenia. It's not the only factor. It's not the only factor, and it's not the only treatment, but it's kind of gold standard. First level is exercise. And if you're 60 or 70 and you think it's too late for you, it's not. You can still reap all of the benefits that I just said having muscle gives you in old age or older age. It is never too late to start moving and to reap the benefits of exercise. So please don't hear, oh, you already have this condition or a condition. It's too late for you. It is absolutely not too late for you. Protein intake is also a part of treatment because it's important for muscle protein synthesis or the creation of muscle. Older adults need more protein, not less. I'm sure you think older adults need to eat less. Maybe calorically they do, but your protein needs go up as you age. They don't go down. So not having enough protein in your diet is folly. You need enough protein. And we're going to we're going to go over protein requirements. And people lose muscle as they age, and so it's important to exercise and to consume enough protein. Okay, so that's treatment. What kind of exercise? Strength training. Strength training. We're going to talk all about strength training today. Most people think that in order to get fit, they have to reduce how much they eat, which may or may not be true, and do a ton of cardio. I'm going to tell you right now, that that is a surefire way to decrease your metabolism and to not give you the health benefits and the body that you want. If you want to lose weight and speed up your metabolism, reduce many different types of diseases like the ones we've discussed, and look good, you have to build muscle. You have to strength train. Too much cardio puts stress on your body and it inhibits your body to build muscle. 
moreover, the effects of cardio are short-lived. So while you're doing the exercise is kind of when you get the benefit. Whereas with strength training, those benefits happen afterwards, you know, 24, 48, sometimes even 72 hours. Because when you strength train and you damage your muscle and that adaptation happens, that's what getting stronger is, that's where the magic happens. That's how your metabolism increases. That's how you build muscle. And if you're doing too much cardio, it inhibits your ability to build muscle. The other thing with cardio is that your body becomes efficient and it adapts quite quickly. And it does this by slowing down your metabolism. And so if you lower your caloric intake, you tell your metabolism to slow down. And then if you start doing lots of cardio, then your body slows down its metabolism to adjust to those demands. And so what ends up happening is you lower your metabolism, you lower how much you can eat at a base rate, and you put a lot of stress on your body. And it may work at first, but eventually it will not. The body adapts and you will find that the things that you did perhaps when you were younger or when you first started to lose weight are not working anymore. And generally it's because you're doing too much cardio, you've slowed down your metabolism through extreme dieting or just not eating enough and you don't have enough muscle on your body. So strength training is extremely important and it's not just important for reducing the risk of sarcopenia in in later life. It comes with all of those other benefits because in order to build muscle, we need to lift weights and muscle comes with all the other benefits that I mentioned before. What types of movements, you ask? I'm glad you did. Good question. You want to do the types of exercises that give you the most bang for your buck. So these are your big compound lifts that recruit as many different muscle groups as possible. Like the last thing you want to do is go to the gym and do a bunch of bicep curls. Like talk about a waste of time and efficiency in your workout. So I'm talking squats, deadlifts, overhead presses, bench presses, you know, things like that, pull-ups, movements that recruit lots of different body parts. That's what's going to give you the most bang for your buck. I also want to talk about doing shorter workouts because if you're listening to this and you don't work out regularly, which many of my listeners do, but for my listeners that don't, shorter workouts are amazing and they can give you just as good a results as longer workouts. So shorter workouts reduce the risk of injury because you're not risking overtraining. They also don't come with as much muscle soreness because you're just not simply doing the same kind of volume you would in an hour-long workout. People are more likely to stick to shorter workouts as well. If you ask someone to set aside you know, three days a week for an hour at a time, their 
less likely to find that time. But if you told them, hey, all you need to do is 15 to 20 minutes a day, every single day, they're more likely to do it because there's not that time pressure. It also builds consistency and consistency is one of the most important aspects of health. It's not how much exercise you do on any given day that yields results. It's the frequency. It's doing things day in and day out, but not overdoing it. And we'll get to experienced exercisers in a bit. We're just talking about newbies right now or those who maybe aren't exercising at all. It also takes fatigue out of the equation. You know, fatigue is one of the biggest killers of muscle and strength gains. So if you're working out for a long time and you feel really fatigued, you're less likely to be able to put out the amount of effort that you need. It can also be really wearing psychologically when you're always fatigued. And if you over-exercise, then it can affect your sleep. It can affect your hormones. Um, it keeps you in chronic stress because stress is because exercise is still a stress on the body. And so over-exercise does not help you. It doesn't help you build muscle because your output diminishes if you are fatigued. So these shorter workouts, daily workouts, can also be really great for experienced exercisers or for those who have a tendency to overtrain. But this consistency is so important. And if you're only doing shorter workouts, then you're going to focus on the types of exercises that give you the most bang for your buck. Like if you're working out 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, are you going to waste it doing bicep curls or tricep extensions? I don't think so. And if you are, I'm going to tell you, you should not. You should go and you should do some big lifts, pick up something heavy that, you know, is at an intensity that's right for you. You know, do a few sets and get out of there. And you're still going to get all of these really great benefits of working out, but without all of the muscle soreness or the fatigue or the time crunch. And it helps you to develop a better relationship with exercise because when people think they need to do it all, they need to do an hour workout every single day. And and for some people, they do that and it's fine and they're fine. But for a lot of people, that is not realistic. That's not where they're starting. And when you have that mentality that that's what you have to do to be healthy and you set yourself up for something that's unsustainable, you develop this unhealthy relationship with exercise. And that doesn't build consistency. That doesn't make it sustainable. You know, the best type of exercise is the exercise that you actually perform. So if you're not going to perform something because you're setting these unrealistic expectations, then don't expect to build that consistency. If you're doing short workouts every single day, you're basically, you know, working on the same body part most days, body parts most days. I like full body workouts personally. And when you do something over and over and over again, you perfect that movement. So if you're doing big compound lifts, then you end up perfecting 
those really efficient and effective exercises, which in turn helps you build more muscle, which speeds up your metabolism, which increases insulin sensitivity, and all of these really great benefits that comes with building muscle. On top of that, exercise also lifts your mood. So exercise has been shown to outperform antidepressants, for mild to moderate depression. It also helps with anxiety and other mood disorders. So exercise doesn't just affect our physical body, but it in fact, it affects our psychological well-being as well. So that's the type of exercise that you can do and try it. Like I'm, I'm trying the shorter workouts now like the other day I did 21 minutes. That was a big, that was a big deal for me. You have to get over the psychological hump that you're not doing enough. But I have a tendency to overtrain. And for me, I want to build muscle. You know, I lost a lot of muscle going through the chronic condition that I did. And that chronic condition was a result of losing muscle and it was a it was a painful journey back to strength because uh, I just ended up doing a ton of cardio as a way to cope with the death of a family member um, and it was you know mixed with school and sitting a lot and not having the the muscle to you know maintain good posture which resulted in a lot of like jaw and tension headaches and just overall like a lot of a lot of pain, just a lot of pain. And getting back to a place where I feel strong and was able to even lift, pick up a weight without feeling excruciating neurological pain, that was a journey. That was a very big journey for me. And I'm finally back. I'm not like 100% symptom-free. I still get headaches, um, but I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty strong again and I feel amazing. Like I feel 10 times better, 100 times better than what I did, you know, two or three years ago. So that's strength training. Really good. Try those shorter workouts and see see what happens. Also, on top of that, I just this is a little side note is when people exercise they're more likely to eat healthy. So on the days that you exercise, studies have shown that people are more likely to eat healthy on those days. So if you're exercising every day, then your chances of wanting to eat something healthier are greater. Just a little side note. And with that, we're just going to jump a little bit into nutrition. So in order to age well, we need to build muscle. That's just one component, but we need to build muscle. We also need to have, eat in a way that fuels that muscle. And I did touch on protein and we're going to touch on it again because it's super important. And no, most of us are not getting enough protein. You might hear, you know, whoever say we get tons of protein, we get tons of meat, Generally, people actually don't get that much protein. They don't get enough protein. For general health, you need around one gram per pound of lean body weight or your goal weight. So say if 
your goal weight is 150 pounds. You need 150 grams of protein. Do you know how much protein that is? If you have ever tracked your protein, it's a lot. Like it's it's a lot. And people aren't getting anywhere near even 100 grams. And I would say that every adult needs to aim for at least 100 grams of protein a day. You just do. If you want to maintain lean muscle, and if you're if you want to build, if you want to build muscle, actively build, you need more than that. So for general health, one gram per pound of lean body weight or your goal weight. You know, the thing with with protein is it's the most satiating macronutrient. So you end up eating less of the not so good stuff. You know, if you are eating a bunch of protein and it's filling you, then you're less likely to go and reach for chips or sugar or some kind of refined carbohydrate because you're satiated. Protein also helps to fuel your muscles, like I said, and that is one thing that we need. It reduces insulin spikes. And we talked about how having muscle changes your hormonal profile and it increases insulin sensitivity. So it helps to reduce those insulin spikes that are caused by eating high amounts of sugar. And and not just that, I mean, our insulin can, can spike as well when we're in a state of stress. But protein is so important. And for me personally, I use a protein powder. Kevin uses a protein powder. Kevin has increased his protein. He's changed nothing else, nothing, nothing about what he's eating or how he's training. And he is consistently seeing strength gains in the gym and his body looks fantastic. Like I notice a difference. He knows he notices a difference. Like the weights are just like sailing up like no one's business. And all he's done is increased his protein intake. That's it. And so if you want to do better in the gym, if you want to see better gains, you have to increase your protein. Now I should say that regardless of how much you exercise, you know, how great a program you have, how much protein you're eating. If you don't sleep well, none of it matters at the end of the day. You know, not sleeping is a huge stress on your body. It disrupts your hormones. So you get elevated levels of cortisol and adrenaline, um, decreased testosterone, growth hormone, melatonin. Not sleeping well is super detrimental to your overall health. And we're talking about a long game. You know, I'm going to come back to consistency. There's no end game. I don't know if you knew this or even thought about this, but there's no A to B with exercise. There is no B. It's a long game. There's no end to it. This is something you do every single day. So you have to find what you can do consistently. Do something every single day without overdoing it and find what works for you. And I'm telling you right now, if you strength train daily, and if you don't do, don't want to do the shorter workouts, you know, then at least three days a week, you know, seriously strength training, full body three days a week, you can find great benefits from that. It's not overdoing it. 
you strength train regularly, you meet your protein requirements consistently, and you sleep properly, it takes care of a lot. Like it, it leaves a lot of room for you to focus on the other aspects of health. And it just makes your quality of life so much better. And it really is that simple. What's not so simple are the other factors that come into play. Financial issues, relational issues, time constraints, motivation. Those are all separate. But if you can consistently strength train, get enough protein and get enough sleep, your your life will change. It will dramatically change and it will have a knock-on effect on all the other areas. So what does it mean to age well? I'm going to come back to this notion. For me, aging well looks like a life that I have all of the ability and the function that I want, that I'm living disability-free for as long as possible. That, to me, is aging well. And in order to age well, we have to look at all of these different factors, the biopsychosocial perspective. But again, if we're looking at things that we have agency over, then we can look at things like nutrition and exercise and sleep quality and even how we function in our relationships. So that is it for today. I hope it gave you some motivation. I hope it gave you some motivation to go out and get a gym membership if you don't have one. Because while I don't think you need a gym membership to get fit, I kind of think you need one to stay fit. Unless you're highly motivated and you have equipment at home, you can't get the progressive overload that you can in a gym. You can't increase weights. There's also the social aspect. So I, I encourage you to invest in yourself and get a gym membership and go consistently. That is one thing that I would encourage you to do before January, for the love of God, before January. And do it now for yourself because, like I said, sarcopenia, dementia, cardiovascular disease, these things don't happen overnight. If you're in your 30s and you're not even thinking about aging, I'm telling you right now, it's going to come quicker than you realize. And if you're 60 or 70, you know how quickly things can creep up on you. And you don't want to be looking back in 20 years from now thinking, dang, I wish I would have just exercised every day. Maybe it could have mitigated some of the issues that I'm facing. Save yourself the heartache of realizing that and just do it now. Do it now, regardless of your age, because it's never too late to be physically active and to take care of your health. That is it for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I look forward to talking to you again on our next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave me a review as your reviews get this message of better health out there. 
You can also follow me on Instagram at Lena Jade's Healthy Life, where I post fitness, nutrition, and psychology content. All right, you guys, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. And as you go throughout your day, always remember, you are powerful over your health.